Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. We're going to move on now to the uh, new series time in, in church, which is always an exciting Sunday. Is everyone excited for new series time? Everyone, yeah, come on. We're looking forward to it. So this new series is, is, is Race the Conversation. This is an important series. This is a landmark series. We've, we've worked hard at putting this together because we believe that this is an important series. We are called by Christ himself to be those who seek first his kingdom. And that means we must be committed to matters of justice and righteousness. We're talking about this not because we're, we're woke or because we want to be politically correct or anything like that, but this is a kingdom issue. This is a, this is a kingdom issue that is, is right there. It, this is part of God's heart for people. How we treat people made in His image and likeness, every single individual is made in the image and likeness of Jesus, is so important. So we've got four interviews coming up over the next few weeks and it's really important that you engage with all of them because one single uh, message is not complete on its own. It is part of a four-part series. So these will be available after Sunday so you can connect with them in the week if you need to. And we would really encourage you to get part of a C3 group because we've made some specific content that is tailored to this series that unpacks these messages further. So getting part of a C3 group would be really important. And if you do want to do that, you can get involved in our Next Steps Lounge. But this morning, today, we are really excited to have a real friend of the house, a real fantastic speaker this morning who we've interviewed, and this is Dr. Krish Kandaya. He is fantastic. Look at this, Krish. I never quite know how to describe him because he's, he has done so many things. He's an author of, th- an author of 13 books, an academic, academic and social entrepreneur, chair of the Adoption and Special Guardianship Board, founder of Home for Good, which are a charity all about uh, adoption and fostering. He's a re- regular broadcaster on Radio 2 and Radio 4. He's a speaker and he's an ambassador for Tear Fund. And most importantly, above all other things, he is a Liverpool Football Club supporter, which is you know, fundamental for everything that we do, that you must support Liverpool. That's not true. Um, so we're really excited for this series. Please do get ready. Watch the screens as we engage with Race the Conversation. Here we go. So today we have with us our good friend, and I mean that, Chris Kandai. It's great to have you with us, Chris. Great to be here, Steve. Every time uh, I meet up with you, I find you doing something new, and uh, your role morphs and different things. Tell us exactly what you're up to right now. Oh, that's great. So I work part-time with the government, bringing reform in adoption and special guardianship. Uh, That meant I had to leave the charity that I used to work for, Home for Good, because we were lobbying the government a lot. And so I'm working the other side of the table with the government, trying to find solutions so that children find loving homes. That's probably about a quarter of my time. Um, I'm also working on um, the integration and welcome of people from Hong Kong to the UK. Uh, You may know the UK's opened its doors to up to 5 million people from Hong Kong. And it's expected 130,000 will come this year. And then this conversation we're going to have now is another important part of my life, helping the church navigate well um, racial justice. How can we be a force for good in this space and demonstrate the love and grace of God as necessary? Brilliant. One of the things uh, I've always loved about you, and we love at C3, is how you um, 
combine... You're a theologian, really. You, you are a theologian. Or if you don't think you are, you are in my book. And the, the way you write, you're an author, but you're such an activist, so you make sure faith and works go together. Um, our conversation is about race today. So could you... And we haven't rehearsed this, so just... Could you give us something of a biblical perspective of the subject of race? Uh, this is an interview, so you can't go into a preach, but <laughs> something that you say that this is what the Bible says about race. Wow. That's a big question, Steve. And, and that trying to combine reflection on scripture and activism, I think that's been what the church has been doing since Jesus. Je right. Jesus is the ultimate theologian, sure, and yet yeah. he's an activist. He's yeah. trying to deliver uh, a taste of the kingdom of God in the here and now. And for me, that's where this conversation starts. It starts at the end. You know, where are we headed as the church? We're headed to a time when all the nations, every tribe and tongue will be gathered around the throne, worshipping Jesus as Lord. And so that means now we need to demonstrate a little bit of what's to come. And sadly, our nation and our world is increasingly divided. Uh, it's divided politically, it's divided economically, geographically, there's a north versus the south, but we're increasingly divided on racial lines as well. And for me, the church is supposed to model something about what God is coming to bring. And all of that was made possible by what Jesus did. If you, if you read the book of Ephesians, uh, we're told that Jesus blew up the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile so that we could all come to Christ and be one family. And in the ancient world, that was the biggest division between Jews and Gentiles. You know, Jewish people uh, often used to say that Gentiles were only uh, in existence to fuel the fires of hell. And Gentile people looked down on Jewish people um, and often said they, they were part of the barbarian classes because they weren't, you know, Romans. So in the earliest church, you had a taste of that coming kingdom, that there was Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, adults and children worshipping together. And that's, that's my starting point for why this race conversation matters. It matters because our calling as Christians is to demonstrate the coming kingdom of God now. That's part of the good news. It's part of the gospel that we're trying to share with the world in need. Totally agree with you, but history shows that the church hasn't done well on that. How can well-meaning, intelligent... Let's use the word godly because they weren't ungodly individuals. Come to such bizarre conclusions from the Bible yeah. about race, and and that's not even we could talk centuries, but that's yes. even recent history. Yes, where the distortion comes in, how does that happen? It's a great question. I I think you can go back as far as Peter in the Bible. So Peter knows because Jesus has told him oh, yeah. the gospels for all people. In fact, God gave him a kind of one-on-one -on -one tutorial that Gentiles were acceptable in the kingdom of God. Remember that, that sheep coming down out of heaven and he's told, go kill and eat, and he's going... He says to God, no! You know? It's like, I, I, I'm too holy to do what God's telling me. And God says, no, you will do it. So God himself is trying to school Peter that those racial divides, Jew and Gentile, don't matter within the kingdom of God. And yet, you can see, even in tracking Peter's life, he has a kind of set to with Paul about it, doesn't he? About the, the Judaizers. So it takes a while for the penny to drop because we are flawed, fallen human beings. We've all got our blind spots. We've all got things that we can really see clearly in Scripture and we're, we're connecting with God on and we've got other things that God's still working on us with. And if that can happen to an apostle, it can happen to any of us. 
So I think one of the ways that, that God has designed the church is that we need each other. I, I need my Christian brothers and sisters who are different to me, whether that's different geographically, you know, brothers and sisters in, in places like Uganda or uh, South America. But I also need Christians from different traditions, you know, that maybe aren't as charismatic as me or, or maybe more reformed than me or, you know, older than me. And we can spot each other's blind spots. I think that's why God's designed it that way. But once we start ending in a little little ghetto, you know, this is my tribe and we're right and everybody else is wrong, I think that's when some of that really bad practice begins to spread mm. and the church ends up the wrong side of the Bible on a whole bunch of issues that God really cares about. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Very good, very true. Um, let's talk a little bit about you and your, your experience. I want to come on to let's talk about racism, maybe sure. try and define it. Um, and very practically, what we can do and where we can put our hands up as well, where it is there, whether that be conscious or, or not. Um, but you would, I think, describe yourself as a, a British Asian. Yeah. Um, I've heard a little bit of your story in the background, but a lot of people won't. Tell us your background and, and your experience as a British Asian yes. growing up here, what, what that was like for you. And even up to today, do you experience racism? What's that been like? Mm. And for your parents, maybe, I think you've talked about them in the past. Yeah, yeah. So as we get a little bit sure. behind, as well as talking the theology, for you, what's your experience been? Really good. So my mother was born in India. My father was born in Malaysia. My father's father was born in Sri Lanka. And my mother's father was Irish. So I'm all over the shop when it comes to my ancestry. British Asia is just an easy, you know, compartments to put myself in. I mean, my mum and dad met in Britain. My mum had been in an orphanage in India uh, because she was from a mixed race background with that Irish dad and the Indian mother. And when my Irish grandfather died in the Second World War fighting with the Allies against Rommel, uh, he got awarded a military cross for his you know, bravery, but was killed in action. My mother and her two sisters were deemed socially unacceptable. It's a horrible word I'm going to use now. They, they described them as half-caste mm. because of that mixed-race, dual-heritage background. So they weren't allowed to live with their birth mother and they weren't acceptable in the white families and so they were put in orphanages, even though they had living parents. Anyway, grand, great-grand-aunt discovered this in England, brings my mother and her two sisters over to the UK and you know, helps them to get started. My mum trains to be a nurse, even as a teenager. And uh, she experienced a lot of racism back in the 60s. Um, you know, people used to throw a banana at her. People used to call her names. Patients wouldn't let my mother touch them because she was brown. We want a white nurse, please. And my mother, she was just this incredible force of nature, force for good in the world. She started a one-woman resistance campaign to racism. Friday nights, she'd cook up a massive vat of curry and rice, and anyone who felt like they didn't fit in, they were welcome at my mother's house. And she fed all sorts, you know, international students, other nurses, people from all sorts of places. And that's how she met my dad. And my dad was this Malaysian student who was uh, mad on my mum and mad on cricket and uh, ended up not finishing his degree, which was a huge, you know, familial shame. So he felt he couldn't go home. Anyway, ends up marrying my mother. Me and my sister come along. And I remember at school, you know, they, at first kids just, you know, just recognise another child. But then... Suddenly, like, why are you brown? What's going on? Are you a packy? I'm going, well, 
I've never been to Pakistan. I can relate to lots of East Asian countries, but not Pakistan. And then people would say, you know, you know what that dot on your head is that your family has? It's because why don't you go back to your own country? So even at an early age, kids are picking up signals from their parents often about what's going on. And I found that difficult. Um, you know, sometimes you got to fisticuffs in the, um, the school playground. Um, and my mum was a great help. You know, she could say, look, I know what you're going through. Happened to me too. Here's what I did. But to be honest, I, I felt this inferiority complex. Like I wasn't good enough to be with the other kids. That, you know, when they spat on you, you think that there must be something wrong with you. And it was through a mate who became a Christian at a John Wimber event in Brighton um, that he shared the gospel with me. And hearing that Jesus loved me, right, independent of my performance. I, I was trying to show that I was good enough by being the most intelligent kid at school or being the fastest in the 100-meter sprint or hitting the hardest with the rugby tackles. I was trying to show the world that I was as good as everybody else. But when a mate of mine is saying, actually, Jesus, he experienced far worse persecution and, you know, physical violence than, than you or I have ever experienced, and yet he still says he loves you. And he wants you in his family, however well you do at school, however badly you do on the rugby field. He wants you in his family. He died for you. That was a huge turning point for me. Suddenly, my identity was not dependent on whether my mates at school accepted me. Right. If God accepted me, then I, could, I didn't have to measure up to anyone else. And I could be who I was and I could bring my best to the world. And it, it's that journey for me of discovering the unconditional love of God that really inspires me to be passionate about racial justice now. But mm. everyone needs to know that God loves them. Right. So that's part of my story. Mm. So would you say today you're experiencing racism? Does it, does it reveal itself in any kind of context where you're in? It, it's different. You know, it's different to the school playground. Yeah. You know, I, I rarely, no, not, not never, um, it received verbal abuse. Um, that's less so now than it was when I was growing up, at least in, in my context. I think people have different expectations. Um, so, you know, if I speak to someone on the phone and then they meet me, they're surprised I'm Asian sometimes if I haven't told them my name. Sure, yeah. um, and people sometimes assume that I haven't done well at school or, you know, that I haven't got a degree or a PhD because of my background. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think things are moving in a positive direction. And my kids have experienced different things than I did. Um, my, my wife is, is um, half Welsh and half English. It makes it very complicated in cricket matches, rugby matches and the, <laughs> the World Cup. Um, but, you know, our kids have kind of mixed-race heritage and they, they feel kind of comfortable in their skin about that. We're also adoptive parents and foster parents and we've had a range of kids from different backgrounds come and live with us. But I think sometimes the... The fear that will I be treated the same way? So if a police officer, you know, pulls me over because I went through an amber light, will I be treated all right or not? As, as a brown person, I think it's not the same um, sense of disparity that maybe a black person would have. Mm -hmm. I, th I think, you know, looking at all those stop and search statistics, um, it's definitely worse for black people. Um, and so... You know, I'm, I'm trying to navigate that, that space well. So how can um, we, and I'm using we as church leaders, that's my primary role, you're involved yeah. in leadership, influence, how can we help 
particularly white people, I don't think it's exclusively, but let's talk about white privilege, if we can use that term. How can we help white people not feel shame and not feel embarrassment about the advantages they, we, clearly have had? And so is that we can grapple with these subjects rather than going into defensive mode because my experience over these last 12 months is a lot of white people get very defensive. Mm. I, I did, I have. How can we help as leaders, mm. white people particularly, to get over that defensiveness? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and it is hard because for some of us, our identity is based on how we're doing compared to other people. And if my identity is I'm better than, you know, even at an implicit level, I'm better than, I'm faster than, I'm like I was at school. My identity is based on can I prove my worth by being better than other people at something because then I'll feel good about myself. If our identity is based on that, we're going to have massive problems. But if our identity is based on, hold on, I completely failed God's standards. You know, God loved me enough to welcome me into his family because of Jesus' death on his cross, even though I totally messed up, and now I'm part of a global, international family that's welcomed into God's household, that's a game-changer, isn't it? If you've, if you've really been affected by the truths of the gospel, it's got to change where your identity's coming from. Mm -hmm. And out of that kind of grace-based identity, I can offer to be helpful, can't I? And I can actually come with two things. I can come with boldness and I can come with humility, those two things together. I can come with boldness because... I, I feel a sense of confidence, you know. God loves me, mm -hmm. right? I, nothing I have done has disqualified me from being loved by God. I can hold my head up high. I, I have value, dignity and worth because God, the creator of the universe, sees something of value in me. That, that means I can come with boldness. I can come and approach him. But I also come with humility because I realise I'm a sinner and I've failed. And so I've probably failed in this area too. So I can come and say, look, I, I want to fix this. I realise this is a, a part of my life that I haven't really explored with you or with God. So can you help me? How can, how can I be helpful here? I realise that because of where I was born, you know, I'm talking about myself personally, I have advantages that other people in the world don't have. I, even though I went to a pretty ropey comprehensive school, I, I have education advantages that many people in the world don't have. I realise because I've got a steady job, you know, and I've got income coming. I've got advantages. Other people aren't. How can I use that to further God's kingdom? Mm. And so you come with this, I think God can use me, but I realise I've got something to learn. And if you come with that attitude, incredible things can happen. Great. I, I've noticed, um, and I read the government paper again last week on, on race and, race and uh, uh, justice and inequality in the UK and, and one of the things they were grappling with was even the definition of racism yeah. uh, and some of the stuff I've read around that there couldn't seem to be a, a common definition. I'm, yeah. I'm going to read one to you oh, okay. uh, from the AOG recent paper on racism and in, injustice as they define it uh, and I want to know do you, do you agree with it? Um, and do you have anything to add to it? All sure. right, this is, this is the definition. On the spot, I'm ready. Yeah, I know, I'm practices. <laughs> racism is a belief in, expression of, or bias towards racial superiority, whether conscious or unconscious, by an individual, or a society, or an institution. 
Wow. Agree? Disagree? <laughs> add? Takeaway? I, I think just hearing it for the first time, it, and, and well done, AOG, for confronting these issues. Good, good job. I think there's lots of good stuff in there. So racism as a belief in superiority, that, that's powerful and true. Um, I think, um, and, and, and that's not limited to white and black. So a lot of our conversation, rightly, sure. because of what happened with George Floyd and because of the disparities that particularly yeah. affect black people, um, we've made this a white and black thing. But actually, there are other forms of racial superiority that play. So, you know, not that long ago, even on the streets of London, there were people um, calling for sexual violence against Jewish people because of conflicts that were going on in Palestine. And you go, hang on. You know, that, that's another expression of racism, but it's not based on colour, it's based on ethnicity, isn't it? So, you know, I, I, I think that idea of superiority and inferiority, that's right. I think it can be conscious that there are people that know that they're doing it, mm -hmm. and it definitely can be unconscious, and you need someone else to call it out. So, you know, that conversation about a person with an Irish accent offering to fix your drive, hadn't really realised that that was there, that I had that implicit, this must be dodgy, because of you know maybe previous experiences or reputation, and I needed someone else to call that out on me. And once it's called out, it's moved from unconscious to conscious, and I can do something about it, can't I? How, how can I fix that? So I think that's right. I think there's a big conversation that's going on, you know, nationally and globally, about whether institutions can be racist uh, or whether that's an individual thing. And and. There's good and, good and bad points made on both sides. So I think, I think this definition talks about the belief. And a person has beliefs, a person has agency. They can decide things, can't they? And they can choose what they believe in one sense. Institutions, they, they are the collective um, aggregation, if you like, of how people think. So, for example, um, we've got a problem at the moment in the UK um, care system that black children wait the longest to be adopted. Now, why is that? Is that because the whole system as a whole has a kind of racial bias? Is every social worker got a personal racist bent? I don't think so. But have we created either policies or practices or standard operating procedures that disadvantage people from certain backgrounds? Yes, I think we have. Now, is that racist? Yes. Does that mean the institution is consciously racist? No, it might be unconsciously racist because of decisions in the past. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, in general, I'm in, I'm in agreement with that policy. I think it sounds a really good uh, statement. So it's inter interesting you say there, um, it's, it's not just a white person's issue, although obviously this last year has shown, particularly in our Western kind of context, it's there. Yeah. But someone said to me, Oh no! Only white people can be race, racist because racism is a white construct. You wouldn't go with that. Okay, let's tease some of those things out. Um, so, race is a really bizarre word, in that it is a social construct. Okay, mm. so th this goes back, you know, hundreds of years when you know people were theorising about evolution. And, and there was this mindset that you could divide the world up into different races and they were different stages of the evolutionary framework. Mm -hmm. And guess who was at the top? White people were at the top and, you know, brown people, yellow people or black people, if you like, they, they were at different stages of evolution. Now, is that true? No, totally. You know, it's totally constructed and, and I would oppose it. 
completely, you know, from the core of my being, um, as if there was some kind of um, gradient of value and dignity. That is completely foreign to a scriptural understanding. The Bible says all human beings are made in God's image, every single one. And the Bible also says that God loves the world. He doesn't just love middle-class white people, right? So I oppose that structure. So race is a social construct. It's something we've put onto the world in order to justify, in that case, some form of white superiority. Are you with me? Yeah. Um, Raceism is real, though, because people believe that, either at a conscious or a subconscious level, and start acting out as if there is this hierarchy. So racism is real, but race as a, uh, is, is a social construct that I would oppose. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do, yeah. Now, can you treat somebody with inferiority if you're um, brown or black? Definitely. Mm -hmm. So in, in America, they sometimes talk about colorism, mm -hmm. that people who have a, whiter, uh, a lighter shade um, sometimes feel a superior, superiority over people who have a darker shade. In, in my family, in Malaysia, um, the kind of Sri Lankan Tamil community sometimes treat people differently based on skin tone or on which part of you know, um, Sri Lanka they're from or whether they're into mixed race or not. So I've definitely seen people treating people differently um, who, because of racial grounds, who weren't white. So I don't think it is, I disagree with the statement that you put forward that only white people can be racist. I think that's completely rubbish. Nice. Okay, thank you. You mentioned being made in the image and likeness garden, that obviously comes from Genesis. Um, what colour skin do you think Adam and Eve have? <laughs> you could ask me if they had a belly button next, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, interestingly, um, my, my wife and I, we've just um, written a children's book and it's called Whistle Stop, to, uh, sorry, Whistle Stop Tales Around the World in Ten Bible Stories. Uh, and we've written it because when I was growing up and I'm reading the Bible, I just assumed everybody was white. Because all the pictures I ever saw from a sure, children's yeah. Bible, every cartoon I saw, everyone yeah. looks like they're David's American. White, yeah. Massive chin, blue eyes, blonde hair. You know, look at the, the kind of Western art movement. Jesus was, looked like he was born in Surrey. You know, like, so that was the mindset I had. But actually, the more you look in the Bible, it's very hard to find white people. Yeah. Most people would have been olive-skinned, as yes. Jewish Mediterranean people are today. Sure. Um, and there are loads of people from all sorts of places, Iran, Iraq, Ethiopia, Sudan. So why do we have this perception that everybody in the Bible was white? It's because we basically re... What do they say? You know, God made us in his image and we've returned the compliment. compliment yeah. So I have no idea what colour Adam and Eve were but I'm pretty, un, I'm pretty convinced they were unlikely to have been white. Sure, yeah. Great. I mean, someone's said, I, I, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I don't pretend to be, but the, even the word is reddish-brown for Adam. So, as you say, he's not going to be white, we just don't know what other colour he was. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, maybe let's draw this in a little bit um, as, as we conclude. Big questions, I know, and we've got to grapple with them. We can't ignore them. So that's what more can we do? I know you are, um, you advocate and you demonstrate hospitality. That's always been a big part of your message. How can we overcome racism, particularly in the church? Mm. But as you said, we're supposed to be representatives of heaven. We're supposed to model something different. What can we do in order to show and demonstrate, put, 
put bones on the fl uh, put flesh on the bones of what we can do. Well, you, you're right, Steve. I do think we overcome racism with hospitality. I think you know that, that that's not just my personal story. I think that's the narrative of the Bible. One of the books my wife and I wrote was called God is Stranger. Mm -hmm. And it tracks through the entire of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, how hospitality is the defining feature of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The most clearest that's put is in the parable of the sheep and the goats, where, and, and this is going to sound harsh, whether you get to spend eternal life with God or eternal fire without God, the, 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 the factor that defines that is whether you were able to welcome the hungry, the, the homeless, the thirsty, the naked, and, and, and give them hospitality where? In your house, in your home. Mm -hmm. So hospitality is what defines us as being Christians because we, are, we, are, we have been welcomed into God's family. You know, in my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you, says Jesus. So Jesus' mission on earth was to be able to welcome us into heaven. It's, beautiful all the way through so what does that look like I think it, it needs to start with your diary right who is in your life who are you meeting with who gets invited to have you know coffee or, or lunch or, or, or a visit at your home have a look if it's only people that are like you something's gone wrong with who we are as Christians the, the church is supposed to demonstrate what I call supernatural sociology if people could look at who you spend time with and make sense of it because of your class, your gender, your education level, then we're not demonstrating the radical hospitality of God. Beautiful. So it's got to start there. Yeah. I think it has to start in the church as well. I think there are structural things that we can do. I genuinely think that um, our leadership teams, our preaching programs, the books we're recommending ought to be as diverse as possible. Not because it's woke, but because it's part of where the kingdom of God's going, that real in the church. I've been so excited by the, the response the UK church has been given to this large migration of people from Hong Kong. Uh, we have said, we've seen hundreds of churches across the nation join something called UKHK.org, which is basically Hong Kong ready churches. We're trying to learn from the mistakes of the past that we made by rejecting the Windrush generation. We rejected them in our churches and we rejected them in our society. So I want the church to be at the front of the welcoming queue to say, hey, Hong Kongers, you are valuable to us as citizens and neighbours and friends. You're made in the image of God. Whether you're a Christian or not Christian, we want to be here to serve you. And that's been lovely stories of churches that have gone out of their way to do that, whether that's offering help to find, you know, a place in a local school or language lessons or helping people get orientated with the um, local transport system or signing up with the GP. The church has been at the leading edge of that. And it's been such a privilege to go to our government and say, look, hundreds of churches are behind this movement. We are here to help you. That's been beautiful and I've loved it. So, you know, the church can do something there. And I really think globally, we've got to have a rethink. You know, I think it shouldn't be possible that in the course of a year in a church's teaching program, you are not hearing a sermon from a Christian from another country. Thanks to Zoom and all the technology that we're now used to using, oh, yeah. we don't actually have to pray for the nations, we can pray with the nations. Mm -hmm. Why don't we have um, not just missionaries from Britain report back about what we should be praying for, but local people from around the world saying, here, this is what we need, this is how we can partner, it needs to change that actually there's so much the rest of the church needs to teach us before we start exporting to them. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see that change. Fantastic. 
Thanks, Chris, for your time. Um, you mentioned uh, what we should be reading. Anything that you think we should be reading? We've got later in the series, uh, Sinead uh, MacDonald, who's going to be speaking, and she's written the book, God is Not a White Man and Other Revelations. Anything else? I'm, I'm recommending that one. Yeah, um, dude. Uh, no, I, I recommend it too. I'm on the back cover uh, cheering her on. I think that would be a really helpful book. Uh, a lot of people have found help with Ben Lindsay's book, uh, we need to talk about race. Uh, I'm enjoying some of the American uh, authors too. Um, so, uh, How to Be Anti-Racist, I'm enjoying that. Um, the Colour of Compromise, those are Jim R. Tisby's books. I I'd love for people to be reading, you know, even more widely than just America and the UK. Uh, so I'm a big fan of a guy called Rene Padilla, who was a South American theologian, just passed away recently. He's got tremendous things to speak to the church. Another author would be Vinoth Ramachandra, who's in Sri Lanka. Um, he spares no punches and you know if you're ready for a bit of a challenge he can really help us to think through some of those colonial uh, mindsets that need redressing um, so there's a wealth of authors out there uh, that can help you ivp did a whole series of global voices and those books can really help us great thank you part of the reason for us doing this is because we want to keep having the conversation this is a not a one-off conversation and we've talked about educating ourselves we've been trying but we've got to keep doing it and that's why I ask you that question. So, thank you. Anything else that you think, I wish you'd asked me that before we finish? <laughs> so, well, Steve, I just want to say congratulations. You know, I, I've loved the relationship we've had with C3. I know this is something that you're passionate about. And just to reaffirm, I hear your heart that this, this is not just kind of picking up on a cultural moment. This is trying to reconnect with the Bible's demand on us to, to break down those barriers, just as we saw Jesus doing in Ephesians, blowing up the dividing wall that separates Jew from Gentile and helping the world to see that in Jesus, the gospel is for everybody, absolutely everybody. So I, I love what your church is doing. I love your humility and anything I can continue to do to help you guys. Just thank you. Thank you. Well, we're cheering you on as well. And thank you for your input into us. We appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, come up. Big round of applause as we finish for Dr. Chris Kandai. Thanks, Chris. We are all made in the image and likeness of Jesus, of Christ, of God. All made in his image. All made in the image. We've got to start there. We are all made in his image. I just keep saying it. I just keep hearing it through that video. Jesus loves us. We're all made in his image. It'd be wrong of us not to do an appeal right now for anyone in the room who isn't a Christian who might want to make that decision today because we're standing here and we're saying you have value no matter who you are your values I loved what Chris talked about with, with having both boldness and humility boldness and humility so if you're in the room right now and you're thinking I don't know can I have boldness? Can I have humility? If you're online, you're watching and you're thinking, can I connect with that? I'd encourage you. Yes, you can. You can have both boldness and humility as a, we respond to this message. I'm going to pray in a minute's time. I'd love everyone who's watching online in the room to join in this prayer with me. And anyone who wants to make a commitment today to become a Christian for the first time or by way of recommitment, I would encourage you, just let us know. If you're in the room, raise your hand. If you're online, just put yes in the comment box. But I want to pray a simple prayer with every eye closed across the room and head bowed. 
And if you want to recommit your life today, if you want to make that commitment for the first time, then simply just join in this prayer with me. Father God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross. I thank you that he rose again. Today, I choose to live in relationship with you. Forgive me for all my wrongdoing. I want to make you the leader of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or by way of recommitment, with every eye closed, just looking around the room, would you just slip your hand up to let me know that you made that today? Or if you're online, do let us know in the comment box. Because we'd love to have the opportunity to rejoice with you, to celebrate with you, to say, well done. We believe that is the best decision that you can ever make. The band are going to play one more song as a response in a moment's time. Before we do that, I just want to linger in this moment to give you the opportunity. If you're wondering what your response to a message like that could be, if you're wondering what is, how can I apply that in my life? Well, our biggest encouragement to you is get in a C3 group, get around people. What Chris spoke about, hospitality, break down walls, maybe invite some people around to your house who you've never thought of inviting before. Try and adjust your mentality, your thinking, and broaden your horizons for who you can connect with and build relationship with. I'm even challenged yesterday, there was a lady she sits in Park Street car park in the centre of Cambridge quite often. She's a homeless lady and I spoke to her and said, I'm really sorry. We were chatting and saying it's cold today and it's not very nice. And I said, I'm really sorry that you're in this situation. And she just said to me, it's not your fault. <laughs> Why are you sorry? And then I walked away and thought, oh, have a nice day. And I'm just challenged, like, what can I do in my encounters with people that will, will go beyond just the pleasantries? go beyond just the niceties and actually try and make an impact into people's lives. God made her in his image and likeness. She's made in the image and likeness of God. How can I bestow dignity on those individuals with every single encounter that I have? Well, I'd encourage you, we're going to close the service in a few moments' time. We're going to finish with a song online. We'll see you soon. We're gonna, you're still going to watch the last song and be part of that. But um, we're just going to stand in the room right now and encourage you that as the band leaders, as we respond to that, to come, so come on, why don't we stand to our feet and respond as best we can to what the Lord is doing in our lives. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.